This is the Infatuation Podcast, which is a podcast where I get together with a few friends and talk about Asian things and Asian people that we love. I'm Curtis, and on today's episode, we're getting our international sports fix on by talking about the Olympics. Welcome to episode number five, the Olympics. This is a uh, really unprecedented time where we're celebrating the actual 2020 Olympics, but we're in 2021. We're going to be in Tokyo in a few weeks, and in, what is it, seven months, we'll be in Beijing. So we'll be doing the Asian double. Uh, I think, pretty sure this is unprecedented. Have we ever had a summer and winter Olympics in two different Asian countries? I don't know. Uh, this or one after another. I don't, I don't know if we've ever had. It's that. definitely never been this close together before because of the yeah. extra yeah. bump year. So interesting, right? So this is interesting times. Uh, I'm joined by a couple friends. No, well, actually, a few friends. This is unprecedented for us too. We've never had four people on at the same time, but we are going to have uh, some folks talk to us, and they all have uh, different backgrounds. We'll start with the baby of the podcast. Let me introduce to you, Erica. Erica, you are. Uh, do you? Do any of you listen to K-pop? <laughs> Just me. <laughs> All right, we have what we call the Makne. Makne, if, if you're in an Asian pop band and you're the youngest member of that band, you're called the Makne. So Erica, you are our Makne today. We have Erica. She is a competitive ice skater. She comes from San Francisco. Welcome, Erica. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on here. Uh, so how much did you skate in high school? I remember you, you left class one time to go to a tournament. Oh, yeah. I would always leave school to go to competitions, but I probably skated around 18 to 20 hours a week, um, sometimes before school and after school. So it was a busy schedule. Yeah, so lots of early mornings, lots of late evenings. Yeah, lots of dedication. Uh, and then you are uh, you're at UC San Diego, and you're doing business and psychology, or business psychology. It's a, it's one major. Yeah, it's one major business psychology. Are you still skating? You skate much? Yeah, there's a rink like five minutes away from campus, so sometimes I go there, and I'm on the collegiate team now. Oh, really? Yeah. Fun. Is that is that more? Is it competition or is it more exhibition or club? Um, it's both. It's like recreation and competition at the same time. Glad you're still doing it, and you still watch skating a lot. Yeah, I try my best. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be an exciting year then. And coming to us from Atlanta, we have Kaylin. Welcome, Kaylin. Hello. Thank you. And Kaylin is a competitive swimmer. She swam in Colorado. Um, she's from Boulder, uh, Fairview High School. Shout out to Fairview High School. Go night. Uh, yeah, go night. Uh, she's currently a student swimmer at Emory, Emory in Atlanta. And uh, you may not know Emory. Uh, it's kind of a smallish university but in the swimming world people definitely know emory because they have won 10 straight division three national championships national championships that's pretty cool Kaylin. yeah it's awesome <laughs> that was one of the reasons you went there right once you saw the banners in the in the pool you're like oh i'm coming here right oh yeah definitely so if you're a swimmer you know about emory and uh so you're a double major film media management and french yes film and media management is my main focus and french is my fun major so you're not looking for a job in french probably <laughs> not necessarily 
All right, well, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. And coming all the way from San Francisco is Andy, one of my oldest friends, literally yeah. one of my oldest friends. Uh, we went to elementary school, middle school, and high school together. And Andy is a track coach and cross-country coach over here at Sacred Heart Cathedral. Shout out to the Irish. Go Irish. And um, I have a couple couple memories of Andy. Uh, first of all, do you do you even remember we went to your cabin up in Incline and we were watching the 1980 Winter Olympics? Do you remember that? I remember that for some. Reason. I didn't remember until you mentioned it in a message a week ago, and I did. Then I thought about yeah, back Incline Village, Eric Hayden, Eric Hayden, yeah, Miracle on Ice, yeah, those that, that was cool times. And um, Andy has another Olympic connection. Um, you're one of probably I, I don't know I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think your claim to fame is that you were able to talk Shannon Roberry out of Irish dancing and onto the cross country team. Was that would you consider that your greatest achievement? Yeah, that's the one I'm most known for in the coaching circles. <laughs> is that you know Shannon was an Irish dancer and came out for cross country and then decided to do track and field and turned out she was pretty good at that. So she as she moved through high school, she did less Irish dancing, even though she loved it, and moved more towards training and competing in track and cross country, which has turned out pretty well for her professionally. Yeah. And you're, I, I would say, I don't know. I mean, I know her family are huge fans, but I would say besides relatives, you are her number one fan. Is that a true statement? Yeah, I, I think so. My wife and I have traveled all over the world to cheer for her at three Olympics at, uh, I think it's five different world championships. Uh, so I'm, I'm wearing a shirt here about the Olympics. I guess we can't see it on the podcast, but it reference got the Olympic rings and it's uh just being able to cheer for her, and she'll give me a shout-out in interviews now and then, saying that I'm one of her biggest fans. That's pretty cool. And if you don't know, Shannon Roberry, you want to give me a brief summary of, of Shannon Roberry? Sure. She's a uh, three-time Olympian, 2008, 2012, and 2016. Uh, she's the former American record holder in the 1,500 meters and the 5,000 meters. Has had a very lengthy career in the in the sport that often you don't last too long but she's made it more than a decade and she was right there right what, what, what she came in fourth what what olympics was that that was she technically is fourth from the 2012 london olympics because uh she crossed the finish line in sixth but two of the people ahead of her have been caught for doping so she's been moved up to fourth and then she literally was fourth across the finish line in rio which was a heartbreaking thing to see. Uh, you right know, there. Fourth is great, but also fourth doesn't get on the medal stand. Right outside was, uh, the podium. Yeah, that was cool, though. That was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely memories for a lifetime, though. Yep. For you and for her. All right. Well, thank you all for coming. Uh, this is going to be this is gonna be fun. Just to get to know you a little bit better, do you guys have a memory about the Olympics that kind of gets you, you pumped up? Or is there something that you remember from any Olympics of, of growing up or, you know, I shared a story with Andy about watching Eric Hyde in 1980. Do you guys have a memory from the Olympics that kind of gets you nostalgic or thinking about the Olympics? I think when I think of the Olympics, I just associate it with family time. I love like gathering in my living room and just like eating dinner together and just watching all the Olympic events. And it's so special because it's once every four years, well, you know, winter and summer, but it's basically once every four years and and you're watching history and you're watching the best in the world and, that, and that's really cool family moments how about you Kaylin? you got any memories that that trigger whenever you hear that olympic theme 
Yeah, I think all of us here probably can agree that it's the only time that we can watch our sport on television. And I really vividly remember watching swimming in 2008, and I was just getting into swimming then when I was eight years old. So it was really cool to see this sport that I'm just getting into on national television and everyone's watching it. Um, and that's, I think that's probably what solidified my love of swimming too, is being able to have role models in the sport that are easily accessible to everyone. That is true. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, there aren't a lot of famous swimming or track and field uh, athletes outside of the Olympics. So it's kind of like one, you know, Olympics is their time exactly. to shine. I think. Yeah. I think we hit on it, you know, for the three of us here, you know, it's a one every four year time, even though our sports go on all the time, but it's in the spotlight just that once every four years and swimming and figure skating and track and field. So those are, you know, that's our time. My most memorable times are obviously when Shannon runs, but besides that in London in 2012, I remember being in at the track the night that, uh, the UK won three gold medals and they hadn't won a gold medal for over a century. And yeah. the crowd was so into it. Uh, Jessica Innes won the heptathlon and 10 minutes later, Greg Rutherford won the long jump. And, you know, 20 minutes later, Mo Farah won the 10,000 and the stadium was just so loud. My wife lost her voice just trying to talk <laughs> to me next to her and the stadium was shaking and it's kind of like, wow, this is really what it's about. Everyone gets so excited and it was cool to just experience that. And the flags, you know, when they when they run around with the flags on, it's bigger than self, you know, when they're when they're representing your country. There's something really cool about that. I, I think there's something about home field advantage where where sometimes people crumble under the pressure and sometimes people definitely rise to the occasion. So maybe we'll see a little more of that in this one. Um all right, here's this is just for fun, but uh what sport would you compete in? If it wasn't track and field swimming or ice skating, if you could, I think, I think I know Andy's already, <laughs> but what's, what sport would you compete in? If you were not competing in your kind of chosen sport, what would it be? You want to go first, Andy? Sure. You know, growing up, I always thought I was going to be a basketball star. I hit a lot really? of last second winning shots in my living room with a Nerf ball. Uh, it was always, you know, game on the line. I hit that. They didn't even have three point shots at that point. So you, you know, you just hit the bucket <laughs> to win the game because, you know, Curtis and I are so old. We wonder they had a three point shot. But I think, you know, some, at some point at Aptis or at Law, I realized if I really wanted to do sports, it wasn't going to be basketball <laughs> and that it was going to be track or cross country were going to be my sports. But I have no complaints. Those sports have been very good to me. Uh, but yeah, always dreamed I'd be the basketball star. I thought you were going to say curling, Andy. Yeah, that that's later in life. I decided curling was my new passion. <laughs> uh, how about you, Eric? Is there is there a sport you would do if you weren't an ice skater? What would you do? I love figure skating, but I actually always admired swimmers. Growing up, I was on the swim team for a few years, but my coach wouldn't allow me to do any other sport besides skating. And specifically for swimming, she said I was working like the wrong muscles I needed for skating. Yeah, you kind of have to decide. Some some sports you kind of have to decide early. How about you, Kaylin? Uh, I don't like. I didn't say this in the opening, but Kaylin are actually Kaylin and I are actually related, and we come from a long line of non-athletic people. 
<laughs> but uh, what other sport would you do other than other than swimming? What would you do? I do have a clarifying question. Is this a sport that we think we could do or just a sport <laughs> we think is cool? Because those are different things for me. Hmm. Uh, I'll let you interpret it how you want. Uh, either one. All right. I don't think I could do this sport, but um, skateboarding is a sport in the Olympics this year for the first time. And uh-huh. I think that's really cool. So I think that I'm going to go with skateboarding. No, and you just and you're so cool, right? If you're a exactly, yeah, you just you're just cool to start with, you know. Like, so you don't even have to win; you can just be a skateboarder. All right, yeah, very cool answers, cool answers. Um, are you guys gonna Are you guys gonna pull the time change? Are you gonna watch the delayed coverage? Are you gonna wake up four in the morning to watch some sport? Are they gonna have the live coverage? They'll have it on on online, right? But are you gonna wake up in the middle middle of the night to watch some of these things? Probably not. <laughs> How about the Winter Olympics, though, Erica? Would you wake up in the in the middle of the night to watch some skating? Oh, I might have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> Andy's thinking about it. What do you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's, it's a good question. I haven't thought about it. I've been lucky enough to go to these things. I'm in the right time zone uh, so frequently. Hmm. I know I have a lot of track geek friends who do wake up in the middle of the night because they'll be texting me wherever I am, and I'm like, wow, it's like. Four in the morning, you're up texting me, watching this live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think some things, if there's a particular event, I've been known to set an alarm and get up, watch for 30 minutes, and then go back to sleep. So, yeah, we'll see. yeah. How about you, Kaylin? I'm an early bird, so I wake up early, but I also have the advantage of being on Eastern time. So mm-hmm. it's actually three hours later for me than Pacific for you guys. So. <laughs> I think I I could probably watch it in real time, but we'll more more likely watch the delayed coverage. Yeah, because then they did, then they have all the commentary and they have all the you know. But yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, there's some things that uh, are just so historic that you might want to watch it live. My problem is if it's a real big deal in track and field, I have to go turn off my phone or something because someone will text me. Yeah, or my social. Stuff- first five things in my social media feed will be about that. We were actually trying to watch the Olympic trials, uh, a couple of races after it happened without finding out the result. And it, it took a lot of mental energy to make sure <laughs> I still didn't know the result by the time we watched it. You got to go in the bunker or in the desert or something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this a little bit. So we're, you know, we are the infatuation podcast. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Asian athletes, not just some Asian American, but we might throw in an Asian athlete every so often. Um, let's start with some history uh, let's start with a couple a couple athletes that we've admired over the years. And so um, let's talk about an Asian athlete or Asian-American athlete. It's up to you. You decide. That was an inspiration to you or that you thought was really cool. And we may play some clips for you so we can watch it together too. But we may, if you have a clip, we may show, we may play the sound from that. Uh, of course, we're a podcast. So we're not going to watch it. But um, let's start with... Kaylin, you want to go first on this one? What's an Asian athlete that you kind of saw as an inspiration or something that in the Olympics that you just really admired about them? Yeah, I the first person that came to mind was Leah Neal, who is she's a, a sprint freestyle swimmer and she's Asian American and she's like really quintessential Asian American to me, partially because she's African American and of Chinese descent. 
So mm-hmm. she's she's really representative of a lot of different people that are all athletes in the U.S. And I think that's really cool. And she's been a swimmer for a long time. Her first Olympic Games was 2012. Um, and she was the second African-American to ever make the Olympic team in swimming. Um, and I, she, she actually retired this past year, right before um, Olympic trials. And I really admire that she did that because she chose to do so in the name of her mental health and her love for the sport. And I think she's being a really great mo- role model and modeling a really healthy relationship with mental health and with being an athlete. Yeah, I, I had heard of her, but I actually didn't know she was of Asian descent also. That's yeah. pretty cool. Two definitely underrepresented groups in swimming for sure. Very cool. Did you remember watching her growing up? Was she someone that you had, had kind of liked uh, for a while? Yeah, I think she, she swam in the Olympic trials in 2008 and then swam in London in 2012 and Rio in 2016. And her event that she's won medals in is the four by 100 meter freestyle, which is also one of my favorite events. So I think that could be part of the reason that I like her so much. Um, But yeah, she's been a big name for me in swimming for the past nine, 10 years. Winning the bronze medal, I guess, uh, didn't really sink in for me at the time. At trials, when I first realized that I had made the team, I started bawling. (laughs) Uh, I was just so emotional. And then I couldn't believe that I was at the Olympics standing on the podium with a bronze medal. Definitely not a lot of Chinese-American swimmers as role models (laughs) for you growing up. (laughs) Yeah, Nathan Adrian and Leah Neal. Let's talk about Nathan Adrian for a second. Nathan Adrian, uh, that was one of my trivia questions. It's for episode number two, but uh, eight medals, you know, number one Asian-American athlete in terms of medal count for the Summer Olympics. You want to you talk a little bit about Nathan Adrian? Sure. Um, he's, he was the, he's kind of the biggest, most recent Asian-American um, swimmer, I think, that is really world renowned and everyone knows who he is. Um, yeah. And he's actually not on the Olympic team this year. He missed it um, in the 50 freestyle, but he has actually been dealing with um, testicle cancer in the last, I think two or three years at this point. And he has been in remission and he just won his first race, I think in May, maybe of this year since being diagnosed with cancer. Um, But he's in remission and he has a daughter now who was born a couple months ago. Um, And I don't, I don't know if he's retiring from swimming after this year, but I think he's definitely had a, a year or two to really evaluate his relationship to the sport after being diagnosed with cancer. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he continues to swim professionally and is like motivated by his years off. Yeah. And that's so hard, right? To be, be at the top of your game and then to have to take a break and have your body is just not the same. Yeah. That, I would imagine. But yeah, he's a he's a hero. He's also a Cal Bear, right? Isn't he a Cal Bear? Uh, he is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we uh, we kind of have a Bay Area uh, slant over here at the Impassioned Asian <laughs> Podcast. But uh, yeah, go Bears! So we're happy to have him. 
uh represent california yeah cool guy too just really i've never heard anything bad about him like he's one of those guys that is just a nice guy and competitive but also just a stand-up dude yeah i have met him and i can confirm that he's extremely kind mm, nice i was gonna i was gonna mention uh some japanese swimmers now kayla maybe you could help us is there is there a, any actual reason why japan does so well in the breaststroke especially like the 100 and 200 meter <laughs> is there a reason i that? don't know but it is kind of a joke um at least among my friends who are asian american swimmers that the, all of the asian <laughs> breaststrokers are always really good um, <laughs> but i do not know why once you show up to the team do they say okay well you're gonna do the breaststroke <laughs> not in my case i'm pretty bad at breaststroke but it, it, like for things like the freestyle and backstroke, it does help to be a little taller, right? It is in backstroke, yes. And I think it could be that it's like you're so compact in breaststroke that it's probably it's not harmful to be shorter, and so that could mm. be why um, Japan yeah. is so good at it. Yeah, who knows? Or maybe they just that they see people that look like them doing it and at the high level, and they say, "I want to be a breaststroke." Yeah. <laughs> But they're starting. Japan is actually a, kind of a, not a powerhouse, but it's definitely they're definitely come on in the last twenty years. Yeah, in definitely. Swimming. And so there's there's some folks I, I don't know them real well, but I know there's some Japanese swimmers that are definitely going to give some competition to the swimming powerhouses of the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. All right, all right, Andy. What's your uh, what is your Asian uh, athlete memory from the Olympics? Do you have a, a standout for you? Yeah, uh, Liu Zhang is a hurdler from China, and he was actually China's first gold medalist in men's track and field when he won the gold in Athens in 2004. Now, was he he expected to win that one? Was he? I don't think he was expected to win that one. So that also was kind of, it's a bit of a surprise, but he, that was a springboard for him. He won the world championship three years later in 2007. Uh, he was the world record holder in that era from 2006 to 2008. Uh, his time of 12.88 seconds is probably still ranks him like fourth all time. And they're off. Allen, a great start in lane one. Tremble from the USA in lane six is moving well too, but here comes Lou. He's being pushed by the Frenchman Ducour, but this is really fast. He's pulling away now, and Lou is in. That's gold for China and a new Olympic record just off the world mark. The first Chinese male athlete in history to win gold in track and field. Liu would remain in the headlines as the country prepared for Beijing 2008, Liu's home Olympic Games. So he, with all that, you know, he came into Beijing as the heavy favorite. Uh, And then also with the weight of the whole country on him to... Only only 1.4 billion people. Yeah, like a lot of people there. And unfortunately, he, he ended up, he had an injury and he tried his best to compete. I believe he, you know, went to the first round race and got in the block and just realized he, his body couldn't do it. Whatever. Uh-huh. I don't know his injury, but he, he wasn't able to do it. So he you know, just walked off the track and the crowd was obviously stunned. I remember. Uh, but he had so much pressure on him. He like had to do, he did a press conference and he uh, like apologized to all of China or letting uh, them down. It was just yeah. like this intense, like, wow. You know, he's obviously disappointed, but he doesn't need to apologize to his whole country yeah. for it. Uh, but he he rebounded from that. He came back and he won uh, some Asian championships and the Asian games in 2009, 2010. 
Uh, he medaled at the 2011 World Championships, and he qualified for the next Olympics, his third Olympics in 2012. He didn't medal there, but you know that wasn't the end of his career. He kept going uh, and still at a fairly high level after that. And and it's such an interesting uh, race to win it in, too. You know, like Asian sprinters, Asian hurdlers, not really <laughs> renowned for sprinting or hurdling. Yeah, it's a tough event. I mean, the 110 hurdles, it's... A lot of speed, yeah. a lot of power. It's not what uh, an Asian athlete would be stereotyped uh, to have. Uh, but he, he was, you know, really amazing. Uh, yeah. This real tall, lanky guy, long legs, easy to get over the hurdles. Uh, you know, he was, we actually had tickets for what would have been the finals for the 110 hurdles in Beijing. And it's, the ticket prices were like three times the other that night. Was, the track that was because, the hot one. Yeah. yeah, that was supposed to be the night. And we had to pay extra to get tickets for that night. Uh, you know, so we decided to do it. We figured we had come all the way around the world to watch Shannon run. And we had this opportunity, we hoped, to watch Lu Zhang win in front of the home crowd. So we, we went for it, and it didn't work out for Lu Zhang. Uh, but that was the anticipation. You talk about the yeah. home field pressure and home field advantage. That was it working there. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if the Japanese athletes will feel that this year. Probably. My memory, and I think you guys are too young. <laughs> you guys are definitely too young for this one. But my memory, I know you know who this is, but my memory is Christy Yamaguchi. And uh, Bay Area girl, Fremont, California. Uh, All-American girl, but Japanese-American, right? And so she uh, she went to the Olympics, and she was well-known, but... Um, but never done anything at the Olympics before. So the year was 1992. Uh, neither of you were born. <laughs> but Andy and I were around. But we were in college, and I remember uh, coming home, because uh, the sh- the skating was during the day, I believe. And uh, so she was skating, and she was in the lead after the short program, and then she was doing the long program. And she ended up touching the ice. She didn't fall. But she did a jump, and she, Erica, do you know this at all? She ended up touching the ice. Uh, I, don't you, I don't really remember too much. Yeah, this is ancient history for you. <laughs> <laughs> but she ended up touching the ice, and we're like, ah! Oh! Like, I remember in, in my apartment, we were just screaming, like, no! But she didn't lose that many points, and she ended up winning the gold. And it was just, for for me, as an Asian-American uh i didn't remember i'm sure there were but i didn't remember any asian americans definitely like she's same age as us right and she's winning the gold medal on the biggest stage in the world and yeah and she was just she's just you know a cute person too and she's just you know great personality and she's still around of course you know dancing with the stars and she's still around i saw her at the giants game i went to a giants game and she was the bald ball person on that day and she said hi to us we happened to be sitting near her and she said hi to us and we were just telling her we're huge fans and she's a little she's like five foot one and you know she's just just a a, just a great person from what i know i don't know her personally but she seems like a great person and a great ambassador for the sport and couldn't have happened to a better person so that's that's my olympic memory of just for the first time in my life seeing an asian american First to skate will be the 20-year-old daughter of a Northern California dentist, Christy Yamaguchi. Skating out to compete at the Olympics um, was pretty terrifying. I mean, there are moments of, I don't want to do this. 
I was in the lead after the short program. I knew that this was the moment. This was really what all those years and, you know, everyone's sacrifices for my family, Finally, the work from my coaches. Great artistry, great choreography, and a big opening. Triple Lutz into Triple Toe Loop. Triple Lutz, Triple Toe Loop! 20 years of age, Christy Yamaguchi becomes the first American women's gold medalist since Dorothy Hamill in 1976. Have you met her, have you met her Erica? Have you ever seen her around? Yeah, I love Chrissy Yamaguchi. I have her autograph, and sometimes when I skate in, like, Dublin, California, I skate with her daughter, and, yeah, she's super nice. Cool, cool. Yeah. But it, now, she's not real powerful, right? Like, she wouldn't win today in this era of ice skating, right, Erica? Uh, well, skating has evolved a lot since, like, 1992. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh. Are you laughing at me, Erica? No, I'm not. <laughs> All right, but yeah, Christy Yamaguchi, Bay Area legend, Asian American legend, Olympic legend, Dancing of the Stars legend. <laughs> she's she's everything. She's uh she's got it all. All right, uh, Erica, what about you? You got a pick for an Asian athlete that you've been watching over the years? I think I'll have to choose Michelle Kwan. She's been my all-time favorite skater and an icon for figure skating. And I like to think that we have a lot of similarities. Like we're both Chinese American and we're both born in Torrance, California. Really? Yeah. We're the same height. And her coach, coach, my coach. um, I just think her skating is just so mesmerizing to watch. And she also became a super athlete at a very young age. I watched the Olympics when I was seven years old, and I remember vividly, like it was yesterday, watching the 88 Olympics, and I was like, I turned to my parents, like, I know what I want to do. I want to be an Olympic figure skater. You know, when I was 17 years old, um, my wish came true, and it was because of the sacrifices, the hard work, and all that went into the efforts of my parents, and also the hard work of trying to make it. My parents sacrificed so much to give me the opportunity to figure skate. My parents immigrated to the United States in their early 20s uh, with nothing in their pocket but a seed of hope to build a better future for their children. When I saw all these Asian American uh, Olympians at Pyeongchang, it was so inspiring. Uh, Watching Nathan Chen, Chloe Kim, uh, Mariah Nagasu, the Shibutanis, just really dominating uh, their sport and excelling and it's incredible to see and I know it will inspire the next generation of Asian Americans wanting to be at the Olympic Games but yeah she another one another another person Asian descent who just represents us well as an American as an Asian American now is there a way you can you can summarize what she's known for um, I just know she got famous like super young. She just has the whole package, right? She does the jumps, but she's super graceful. Yeah, she's most known for her spirals, which is where she like sticks up one leg. Yeah, she started so young. She's still young. <laughs> you know, like she's still not not what I would consider old. No, great pig. No, I, I think she she represented us so well and I, I you know, I again can't I've never heard anyone say anything bad about her. Just for whatever reason, didn't do great in the Olympics, but in terms of a career, she had you know almost unparalleled career. All right, great picks, y'all. 
So I think we're going to end episode number five there. Um, I know we're just getting started talking about these athletes and reminiscing about it, but uh, we're going to save some for part two of episode number five. But thanks to my guests for coming, and thank you for listening. Uh, please, you can always let us know your thoughts at the our email, infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. Always want to hear from you, whoever's out there. And again, I, I swear, I will not sell your information. I'm just trying to figure out who's actually listening to this thing. Uh, you can follow us at Instagram or Facebook at Infatuation Podcast. Uh, I'll have all the details in the show notes. Uh, more episodes coming soon. After this, we have two episodes on YouTube. We're going to talk about our favorite Asian YouTube creators, uh, as well as our Asian youtube food creators we can talk about that for two episodes and then i think we're going to talk about um traveling traveling in asia so stay tuned for that you can find these podcasts on all the normal places where you get your podcasts but until you listen to us again on behalf of andy erica kaylin and myself we hope you're all happy healthy and safe thanks again for listening and talk to you soon bye, bye.